Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Mark chapter 3 tonight. Now I want to, real quick, I want to say something about this teaching tonight. Because one of the things, if you notice the title of our message tonight from what was Dr. Barclay's, is Dr. Barclay's Advanced Survival Techniques. We're calling it Last Day Survival God as we're going back over some of these teachings. Steps to Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That scares some people. That shouldn't because we should understand what the Bible teaches about it. We, we should be knowledgeable of all the Word. <clears throat> These are subjects that some people will stray away from in the ministry because they don't really want to scare people. They don't want to get people, you know, kind of freaked out about it. But it's in the Bible. We need to know what it is. We need to know, obviously, what could lead us to do that. So we avoid that. Now, in doing so, a lot of times as you're touching on certain little things, people say, oh, I've done that. Oh, I may be doing that. That don't mean that you are now in a position where you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. First of all, let me say this. You're not going to do it unknowingly. It's a known thing that you would do. So if you're already questioning whether you did it or not, I can pretty much assure you, you haven't done it. If you did, number two, the Holy Spirit would have left you. He would no longer be in your heart. You would feel dark once again. You would not have God's presence living in you. So realize this is not something you kind of trip into, like I'm just walking along and all of a sudden accidentally kind of trip and fall into this hole called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and now I'm done for. No. No, this is a deliberate, willful act. Now when I say that, I want to emphasize two things about this deliberate, willful act of what leads to it. Okay? One, this is by me knowingly committing and living in sin when I know I should not be doing so and hardening my heart toward God. <clears throat> so one, that's a willingness of simply doing things I know I shouldn't do. Number two, or a willingness in my heart to not do the things I know I should do that would lead me to sin. I want you to hear that very carefully. So realize that what would lead to this is one, me doing things that I know are sinful, I don't care, I choose to do them anyway. I want, to, I want you to hear that statement. I'm doing things that are sinful and I don't care. That's willingly. You understand? We're not talking about having, has anybody sinned since you've been born again? Raise your hand. All right? But have you committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's living in you. No, you haven't. What we're doing is guarding our hearts against going that direction to where we could be led to do so. But understand this. Again, sin has two aspects to it in relationship to what we want to stay out of. Willful in the sense I'm doing what I know I should not. I don't want you looking at your notes right now. I want you to listen because this is important to get a hold of. Wow. Is that like a pay attention? So I want you to hear me. What, what leads to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about, but primarily, is living in willful sin. So I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't, and I don't care. Say, I don't care. That's not good. So I, I'm asking you to say, I don't care, so you understand what I'm saying. Not like you're doing it. 
Not, you're not confessing to it. I'm just making sure you get hold of the point. Say, I don't care. See, a person who has an I don't care attitude about sin, they're headed the wrong direction. They're headed the wrong direction. That's a willful sinner that's headed towards blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But the other side of that is somebody who is willfully not doing what they know they should be to live spiritual, live right with God, live a strong life with God. And choose not to do so. Don't care. Well, I know I should go to church, but I don't. I know I should spend time with God, but I don't. I know I should forgive, but I don't. So that's not doing. You listening? Yes. So understand, we can also do what? Leave things out of our life that are a strength to us, that help us not go down this path. And we don't want to do either one. You got that point? <clears throat> Number one in your notes, Jesus was clear. And I'm going to actually say, very, what well, does say very clear? Jesus was very clear on this issue in the Bible. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit and get away with it. There, there, there is no repentance for it. There is no forgiveness for it. Period. Let's look at a couple of the books of the Gospels where he mentioned this. He also mentioned it in Luke, but we're going to just look at uh, Mark and, and uh, Matthew's account tonight. Mark 3, if you're there, say amen. amen. 28, assuredly, absolute, no ifs or ands or buts about it. <clears throat> you can have your own opinion about it, but it doesn't matter. Because when Jesus said assuredly, it's this way. Here, here's another way. Remember, I've told you this. The word assuredly means what? So be it. It's an absolute. Here's another way to say it. When he says assuredly, it's this way and no other. It's this way and no other. So when Jesus said assuredly, what, one of the ways you can translate that from the Greek language is you can say this instead of assuredly. It's this way and no other. So it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what somebody else's opinion is. If he said assuredly, guess what? You ready? Say it after me. It's this way and no other. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemes they may utter. But, 29, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. You can literally blaspheme Jesus. You can blaspheme God the Father. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you disregard him in a way that is, that is as we're going to see from the scriptures, quote-unquote unforgivable. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will never have forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Is subject to what? Eternal condemnation. And that means damnation or separation from God. Because they, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Now he was talking to some rulers of the day who had not committed blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They were claiming the miracles Jesus was doing was of the devil. That his father was Beelzebub. So the works that Jesus was doing, who was doing those works? Whoa, whoa who, who was doing those works? I mean, you're right, the father was, but How? Holy Spirit, how the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good. So everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the... They're saying that was of the devil. They're saying those healings, those miracles, raising of the dead, that was of the devil. And he literally warned him, he said, you are borderline blasphemy. He didn't say they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He said, you're borderline. You're borderline. And what is there in verse 29? No forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. Go to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 12. Back up to Matthew 12. So again, this is not a... I want to just make the, the statement clear for a kind of a modern day emphasis. This is not a freak out message. 
I'm not here to freak you out. I'm here to teach you what this is because the Bible talks about it. And if the Bible talks about it, we should talk about it. We should talk about everything the Bible talks about, especially as it relates to us. <clears throat> so clearly this is something Jesus wanted to emphasize to us as well in the Bible, so we should know about it. Matthew 12, 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> it will not be forgiven him. It will what? Absolute. Absolute. This way and no other. It will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Not only now, but in the next age to come, after the church age, after the completion of all things. Doesn't matter. In essence, you have sealed your faith and you're done with it. It's over. 33, he even goes on to talk about you should make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad because a tree is known by its fruit. 1A on your notes, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is done by the mouth when one attributes the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. By renouncing his work, you basically call upon Satan to be your Lord again, who was your Lord before you got saved. And you do that with your mouth. So it has to be spoken. It's not just something you fall into, not something you do. How many know when you got born again, you've willfully declared Jesus is your Lord? So to blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, it's a willful declaration. It's done by the mouth. 1B, all other kinds of blasphemy are forgivable. 1C, be very careful that you do not say that the manifestations of the Spirit or the work of the Spirit are of another power. That's what they were saying about Jesus. Don't ever, you don't ever want to do that because that can start leading you down a dark road. He didn't say they committed blasphemy. He said they were borderline. <clears throat> so... We don't ever want to take something that we know God did and claim Satan did it. Ever, never, ever. 1D, be very careful to what you ascribe even to the flesh or familiar spirits. Because if it's a work of God and we're giving credit to the flesh or familiar spirits, once again, we're taking away the very purpose of what we're supposed to recognize as to who did that work the Holy Spirit did. So we got to watch this very careful as it relates to our life. But you're going to get plenty of help tonight. Hebrews chapter 3, if you go over there with me. Hebrews chapter 3, it's good for us to understand again how this gets uh, into a person's life. It is not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens very short in a very short period of time in a person's life. It's a process. It is a process. There are things that will lead to it to get to that point to where somebody might actually commit that sin. And sadly, some have. Sadly, some have. Jesus wouldn't have warned us about a sin that nobody probably would ever commit. God's all-knowing. If nobody would ever commit it, why would he even bring it up? No need to. But some have. Some have actually done so. And so very clearly, we, we need as believers to guard our heart against it. We should never... Here's the balance again. Remember? <clears throat> I love John Osteen's quote. Not Joel. John. I love Joel as a brother. I'll, I'll tell you flat out, he shouldn't be a pastor. My pastor said it. Many others have said it. He's not anointed to be a pastor. He doesn't fulfill all that's needed to be a pastor. You got to exhort. You got to rebuke. You got to correct. I love him. He's a great exhorter. He ought to travel around the, the country and exhort people and win people to the Lord. But John Osteen, his dad, said, we as, the, as, a, as a church got to stay down the middle of the road because we swing over to one side of the ditch or the other. So in relationship to understanding this whole context of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't freak out, but we shouldn't just get laxed either 
and not do things in our life to guard against us ever going down that pathway. Why are we given warnings in the Bible? You don't know? Why are we given warnings in the Bible? So we don't ever go down a pathway that could hurt our life and become destructive. That's why we have warnings. Not to scare us, right? I've told you for years, it's an absolute truth. I, I love what our pastors taught for years. If you teach the Bible, son, talking to me as a pastor, if you teach the Bible, son, and a sinner comes into your church and you're dealing with sin, they should feel convicted of it. If they don't, you're not teaching the Bible. Not teaching the Bible. If you're dealing with the message on sin and a sinner's in your congregation and they don't feel convicted about it, then you're not, true teaching, you're not teaching a true message on sin. It's not to make them feel bad. They're a sinner. And so guess what? That's why Jesus said, I don't come to convict you. You know why? Because your heart's already convicted you. Already has. I don't need to. Your heart's already done it. So I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 3, point 2 on your notes there. The warnings to live right, live right, and guard our heart are ongoing warnings to each and every one. Because it's a lack of doing and living in relationship to God in what's right that can lead to this. I say it all the time as a pastor and as a minister of God, as a believer. We are not in any way working to earn anything from God. You cannot work to earn anything from God. We're not earning anything from what Jesus provided. I love something that's powerful about faith that I have to constantly remind myself of and work on. Let me give you a little golden nugget about faith. Everything under this new covenant that Jesus said he has already fulfilled that you can walk in now is no longer a promise. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you were healed. That's not a promise. See, a promise isn't fulfilled yet. A promise is something you give to someone to say, I'm going to do this for you. I'll fulfill this for you. Yeah, but all the promises of God are yes and amen, according to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah, exactly. Every promise God gave us going to this new covenant, guess what he said? It's done. Finished. Yes. Now put your amen to it. That's mine. That's mine. Understand one of the things about walking in faith. If you look at the context of what you've got in Christ as a promise, you're always going to see it down the road. Faith is now. I love this. So guess what? I want you to think about this. Any English teachers in the room? Any English teacher? I know Carrie taught. Were you an English teacher? Your kids are both pointing at you. You wouldn't raise your hand for that? They were all pointing at me. So, Miss English teacher, I have a question for you. By his stripes you were healed. Is that a promise? Wait a minute, is that, a, is that a promise though? Is that somebody giving you a promise? To say, hey, by his stripes you were healed. Is that giving me a promise of something? It's a, de- it's a declaration, right? A statement of fact. So everything of what Jesus did in relationship to the promises of God are fulfilled. You have to see him as a statement of fact. And if you do, you'll walk by faith and not by sight. So clearly we are also, though, to guard our heart against how we live because if we don't, we can be affected by how we're living to a degree that we start going down the wrong pathway. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Beware, brethren, so we know clearly who he's talking to. Not talking to sinners, talking to believers. Poke your neighbor, give him a little elbow, say, God's talking to you right now. Praise the Lord. What was the first words that he said? Beware. What's that? Warning. Right? How many kids grew up with a lost in space? Right? Adults, I should say now. 
<laughs> warning, warning. Remember the, remember the, remember? His little arms were flailing. Warning, warning. So I see the word beware. Beware. I always see that. You know, I see the robot. It's like he's saying, warning, warning. If you're not over 45 or 50, just forget that last illustration. Might, might still be on TV. Maybe you ought to go check it out. Beware, brethren, lest there be, listen to this, lest there be in you, believers. It's in, it would be in you. Lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, evil heart's not referring to your spirit because your spirit's not evil. Heart means the center of intent. Center of intent. What is your will? He says, make sure that there is not in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Huh? Believer? Really? In me, an evil heart of unbelief that would cause me to depart? Depart from the living God? Depart from my relationship? Well, obviously, if it would never happen, why would he be telling us about this? If it wasn't a possibility, why would he warn us about this? But it is a possibility. Verse 13. Notice, but exhort one another daily while it's called what? Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Be what? Hardened. Where? In your inner man. In your inner soul. By therefore now denouncing what God says and blockading your spirit from dealing with you and addressing you when you're wrong. Beware, he said very carefully, of this evil heart of unbelief. Exhort one another while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened to this deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceitful. It can seem like it's good, and that is the deceitful part. But its end bite is always damaging, painful, harmful. Yes, no, maybe. 14. Four. Notice, if we become, notice, for we have become, excuse me, partakers of Christ, if, isn't this interesting? If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Wow. We have to hold what? Our confidence, our faith in Jesus, steadfast to the end. Well, what does that mean? You may, there's people that may not. That would renounce again God, renounce the Holy Spirit, and therefore not hold their confidence, their faith in what Christ did for them. Verse 15, while it is said today, say today. Today, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not what? Harden Harden your heart as in the rebellion. I'm adding some bonus verses on purpose. I want you to hear this about what is this? What is this first verse 12? What is this uh, evil heart of unbelief? I'm about to show you. 16, for who having heard rebelled? Who having heard from God rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Absolutely. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Absolutely. Verse 18. And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest? But those, underline it, who did not obey. What did they not obey? Just believe God. Go into the promised land. I'm going to run these enemies out. They wouldn't do it. Can I make a simpler statement about it? What does it mean they didn't obey? They didn't do things God's way. God said, this is what I have for you. This is what I want to do for you. And they said, no, we're not going in. We don't think we can do it. You know what they did? They chose their own way. They chose their own way. Now, if this is how good you're going to amen me for the rest of the night, I'm going to do like Brandon, bring all the kids up to the front row to join Kathy up here. All right. Are you still here? So he was angry with them, verse 17, 
And therefore their corpses fell in the wilderness. They didn't get in on the promise. Watch this, 18. To whom he did not swear, or to whom did he swear they wouldn't enter in? Those who did not obey. So they didn't obey. Watch this, 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? What is unbelief? Not obeying. Remember what he started off with in verse 12? You make sure that you don't have this evil heart of unbelief in you. What's an evil heart of unbelief? You go do things your way. You know what God said. You know what God told you to do. You know how God said to do this. You know God said church is important, but you're not going to go anyway. You're going to go do other stuff. You know God said he wants you to spend time with him, build your relationship, get to know him better, but you're too busy. You don't have time for God. You know I told you to forgive people, but you're too angry, too mad. I have a reason to not forgive them. See, you're choosing your own way. That's what the children of Israel did. What is that called? An evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief in its simplest form is simply not obeying God. Because if you really believe God, wouldn't you obey Him? Sure you would. It doesn't mean you don't believe what He says, but you just choose to do your own thing. And God calls it unbelief. You keep trying to do... I had to learn. The only way my marriage is going to work is I got to do this God's way. The only way I'm going to get blessed financially, I got to do this God's way. The only way I'm going to have a life of peace, I got to do this God's way. I got to get my mind stayed on Him and off of all this world. And so many Christians still got their minds so focused on the world and they want to know why they have no peace. You're doing it your way. God said, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. He whose mind has stayed upon me has perfect peace. If you don't have perfect peace, I'm going to tell you why. You're doing it your own way. You're focused on something other than God. There's more important things to you in life than God. And you won't wake up to the reality of it, but you keep choosing to do things your own way. You're walking with an evil heart of unbelief. You know what you're doing in the process? You're hardening your heart to God. What can this lead to, Pastor? Blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. So this is why we don't want to walk this pathway. Nobody obviously walks perfect as it relates to the things of God. We're not talking about trying to be perfect. We're just simply saying, if you know this is how God said to do it, would you please shut your mouth up, tell your brain to quit talking to you, quench every fire dart with the Bible, say, I'm not listening to the lies of the devil. This is what God said. He's smarter than me. Say it. He's smarter than me. Turn to your neighbor. Say it. He's smarter than me. If he's smarter than you, why don't you do what he says? Most Christians would resolve so much of the problems in their life if they would just do what God said. If you would just do what God said. Now you can come to church, come with the wrong attitude. It won't help you. It won't help you. You can give, give with the wrong attitude. It won't help you. He loves cheerful givers. See, if you just do this the way God said, guess what? You're going to find out your life is going to get a whole lot better. And now you're not going down this road of an evil heart of unbelief that could lead you to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Any amens on that? So notice this, 2A, there are steps. There are steps to blasphemy of the Spirit that can easily be avoided. Easily, underline it. They can easily be avoided. If we do what the Bible says, you ought to underline that whole statement. See, you want to avoid blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's simple. Just do what God says. Just do what He says. You know, I still get people say, well, you just put people under bondage. Man, all this got to do, got to do, got to do. No, I don't got to. I get to. 
I get to walk in God's plan. I get to do things the way God set up for me to do them. I did what I wanted to do before I was born again. When I came into Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, I found out there's a better way. Why do you, why do you want to know Jesus and keep living the way you lived? Why did you even come to him? Oh, because he's good. Yeah, okay, he's good. But so you can keep doing life your way? If you want to keep doing life your way, you didn't need him in your life. Because he's obviously not in your life to begin with in the sense like relationship very much. So people get on me. This isn't about, again, I'm going to say this. I've said it umpteen times in this church. This is not, this is not about earning anything from God. It's about learning from God. You need to know that. I'm not earning anything from God that Jesus has fulfilled. I'm learning how to walk in it. None of you walk by faith before in the sense you did, but not in God. None of us walk by faith in God. We didn't know him. But to walk by faith in God, I got to learn how to do that. Right? I got to learn. Say learn. Not earning. I'm learning. You know why I go to God's house? I love him. You know why else I go to God's house? I learn. Even when I teach, I learn. Watch this. This is powerful. Number two again. Uh, a, you got to watch that there, there are steps, but they can be easily avoided. B, beware, he said, beware, lest you have what? An evil heart of unbelief. In what? One, departing from the living God. C, exhort one another daily. What's that mean? Encourage one another. Because if you encourage one another, you're spurring each other on to get to God's house. If somebody's not here that's normally here, you should call them. You should be calling and say, hey, is everything okay? What's going on? Well, you know, da, da. no, 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 not. Well, you know, come on, you need to get to God's house, man. You know you want to be in his house. You know you love him. Why don't you come? You listening? Or if something kept him, hey, can I pray with you about that? <clears throat> and I'm going to believe God you're going to get there next service. Exhort one another daily, lest, again, one under seat, lest you what? Be hardened through what? The deceitfulness of sin. What will me at allowing sin in my life do it will harden your heart it'll harden your heart d we are partakers of christ if he said we do what one hold our confidence all the way to the end e do not what do not harden your hearts all right number three on your notes there are three major steps three say three there's three major steps to blasphemy of the holy spirit you must be sure be sure and totally avoid them. Yeah. Step number one, as you're about to see on the, on the following page, is quenching the Holy Spirit. That can lead to step number two, grieving the Holy Spirit. That can lead to step number three, resisting the Holy Spirit. So let's go to page two. And the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Do you know he was a great believer? He was a great believer, man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. I was telling Kathy, you know, I don't know if you, how many of you have been to New Mexico? Raise your hand if you've ever been to New Mexico, you know. Like lately, been in New Mexico. I mean, even back in the days when I was rodeo, they're different. Not, nothing wrong. They're not, they're, all, they're not all bad people. They're different people. They're different. You know, I went into Starbucks after Starbucks, several of them to get coffee, and they were all acting like, you know, I was putting them out to be there, 
to get a cup of coffee. And the first time we get back into Texas Amarillo and I stop at a Starbucks, how you doing? What can I get for you today? Is that all you need? We pulled up to a window. Kathy said, thank you, Jesus, that we're We're so glad to be back in Texas because over to Mexico, none of these people were very nice, man. They did not want you there. But I'll tell you what, it's good to have some of you from Texas greeting you at the Starbucks again and being nice. It's sad because I'm going to tell you why. One, a lot of this is affected by their environment. They have a very liberal environment. This happens in California as well. When I had the option of going to Texas or California to be able to rodeo full-time, it wasn't a hard choice. I said it wasn't a hard choice. I mean, I've been all over rodeos in Texas, all over on the course of California. Hey, California might have some pretty you know, beautiful places, and they do have some beautiful people. Thank you for Kenny Gatlin and the Gatlin family. And uh, I'm not saying there's, but I'm just saying, when you get under that liberal environment, oh my gosh, man. I'm telling you, we were glad to get back in Texas. I'm going to tell you right now. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Are you there? Sorry if you're watching by New Mexico. We're not against you individually. It's just a sad environment, sad environment. We love everybody, but boy, it's, it's sad to see the effects on that on people. So step number one, number four in your notes is called what again? Quenching the Holy Spirit. Say quenching the Holy Spirit. Say quenching the Holy Spirit. Tell your neighbor, I'm not going to do that. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to add a couple extra verses here. 16, rejoice once in a while. Always. always. Pray without. But see, you're not going to rejoice always if you do your thing. You'll just rejoice when you want to. But the Bible said, the Bible said, you can choose your way, unbelief, or you can choose God's way. Rejoice always, pray without. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's just communication with God. You're talking to Him. Not just when you're in church. In everything, give thanks. That don't mean give thanks for the bad stuff. In the midst of whatever you're dealing with, guess what? You can look to what God has done for you, not what you're dealing with, but what God has done and say, thank God I have a deliverer. Thank God I have a Savior. Thank God I have a healer. Thank God I have a Lord over my life who's more than enough. Amen? So in everything, what are you supposed to be doing? Moaning, groaning, complaining. This, this stinking wife you gave me, Lord, what am I going to do with this stinking wife you gave me? Well, let me help you. You prayed for her. I did. And when we were going through hard times, God said, you better start thanking me for your wife every day. And I said, you're right. You said in everything, give thanks. I'm going to start thanking you for my wife every day. And things started turning around. You see, you're going to complain and moan and groan all the time. You're, you're walking down the devil's pathway. Right. In everything, in everything, in everything, in everything, give what? What if you're not? You're doing things your way. But in everything, give thanks. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Look to your notes and we'll help you with this tonight. We're going to have to get moving here a little quicker. 4A. Watch this. Quench means to put out a fire. It's like if you built a fire. How many went camping as a kid or maybe still do? Well, you know, you build a fire and all of a sudden it starts going down. And the, you know how many know what you're supposed to do before you leave? Right? What smoke you tell you? Prevent forest fires. <clears throat> so what you do? You get some water. Get buckets. of You pour water in that thing, man. Make sure it's out. You know what you just did? You quenched the fire. You know what you don't want to do as a believer? Don't listen to Smokey. <clears throat> 
Are you listening? Yes. The fire and you don't listen to Smokey. No, no, no. Create more fire. Come on, stoke the fire. Fan those flames. So quench means that you put out the fire because the Holy Spirit's referred to in the Bible also as a fire. Water, wind, different things. Now notice again, quench means to put out the fire to restrict the flow. Listen to that. Flow of what? The Holy Spirit. To restrict the flow of the Holy Spirit or to do that which could be offensive and rude. To who? Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit if you're putting out the fire by restricting the flow <coughs> excuse me, of the Holy Spirit in your life or you're doing those things which could be offensive and rude to Him. <coughs> Listen, folks. Most Christians aren't really aware of it. They know it in their head. Holy Spirit's with you everywhere. The presence of God doesn't leave you whenever you do something bad or wrong or whatever or indifferent to Him. He's there. You're going to, we're going to read about it in a minute. But you got to understand, you got to be aware that if I'm doing things that's offensive and rude to Him, I'm starting to quench Him. I'm starting to restrict His flow in my life. You can't do that. If you want to know about how to get the Holy Ghost flowing in your life, go study every single person who ever truly had the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in their life. Let me help you. You know what they did not do? They did not do things offensive and rude. They did not do things to restrict His flow. They lived holy lives. 4B, you can quench the Spirit by treating Him second, like He's secondary, like He's not really that important. By ignoring Him or by using Him as you would anyone else for hire. You're just trying to get what you can from God, but you're still really wanting to do things your way. God, I want you to bless me. I don't really want to change how I'm living. I kind of like the second girl and the third girl and the fourth girl I'm, I'm flirting around with, even though I'm married. I kind of like, you know, doing things a little different, a little risky, a little on the edge. But I still want you to bless me. Wrong. Say wrong. wrong. Like the family feud buzzer. That ain't going to work. See, an example also would be what? It would be, oh, don't get upset. All right, now wait a minute, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. We're about to go over some things that I want you to get upset about. Don't get upset. Don't get mad at pastor. I'm just reading Dr. Barclay's notes. If you want to get mad, get pa- don't, don't get mad at Dr. Barclay either. It's the Bible. Who's with us in the, in the presence of our, our gathering together? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus says we're two or more gathered, I'm there in your midst. How's he? He didn't come down from heaven. By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. An example of, of quenching, say quenching. So we hadn't got to grieving or resisting yet. This is a quenching stage. It would be to leave a service early when the Holy Spirit's working at the altars. Ministry's taking place over at the altars. And you say, you know what? I'm busy. I got to go. I'm bored. I need to get out of here. I'm hungry. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're, you're having totally dis, total disregard. You know, what if that was you needing that, 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 that deliverance, that prayer, that whatever? <clears throat> See, but if it's about you, what, can you understand how simple this is? If I'm, if I'm not acknowledging the Holy Spirit moving in service and I choose to go do my own thing, I go choose to do my own thing. I go choose to do my own. Guess what? You're walking in unbelief. Beware lest you walk with an evil heart of unbelief. And do what? You all of a sudden start hardening your heart toward God because you're not recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Because you chose to do your own. Your own. A little louder, please. Your own thing. Don't do that. All right? Just because it's your thing, don't do what you want to do. <laughs> I remember that song. 
We were coming back from New Mexico. I said, Kathy, it's a thing. It was a car hauler. She said, what? A thing. Remember the Volkswagen thing? So again, see, if you're probably not like 60 at my age, you probably wouldn't remember, you know. But they actually had a car called the thing. Look it up. Volkswagen had a car called a thing. We don't want to do our own thing. Say we don't want to do our own thing. So again, 4C, an example of quenching. You're leaving a service early while the Holy Spirit's at work. We're not talking about, you, you know, got an emergency situation. You're just saying, hey, I'm hungry, busy, got to go do other stuff, whatever. Your schedule's more important. See ya. And away you go. You're quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. Not at the altar. In your life. 4D. Another example would be to talk or fool around while the Word is being preached and taught. Because guess what? If you don't know it, this is a form of prophecy right here. What I'm doing is a form of prophecy. Now, I would say most of our people getting this pulpit do very well at this. But prophecy is listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm obviously giving you far more than what I just studied on because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Holy Spirit's directing me. Well, if you're sitting here acting bored, falling asleep, don't care, looking at your phone, can't wait to get out of here, who are you really disrespecting? You're not disrespecting me. You're disrespecting the Holy Spirit who's wanting to help you. He's trying to help you, but you're too busy thinking about other things, got other stuff to do, whatever. Uh, 4E, told you don't get mad at me now. Don't throw nothing. 4E, another example would be to talk or to fool around. I just said that. 4E, not D, Daryl, 4E. Another would be to come late to God's house as a consistent insult to him. I'm not talking about you may never be late to God's house. Some of you come from work, you get here late. Hey, get here. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who is too lazy, who could be here on time, chooses not to be on time. And here's why. Because it's not that important if I'm on time or not. We're not talking about events or things in your life that cause you to be late. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a disrespect. It doesn't matter. This is the attitude. It doesn't matter if I get there on time anyway, especially Wednesday night. They're going to pray for 10 minutes. No big deal. I mean, it's not that, or, or they're just going to have worship at the start of the service. It's not really matter if I get there or not. It's this attitude I have that it doesn't really matter if I'm there on time or not. You understand? F, another example, you're still not throwing anything. Don't do it. Another example, F, would be what? To treat him, the Holy Spirit, watch this, in your speech and lifestyle as a mere man. Meaning that what I talk about or say with my mouth really doesn't matter, even though the Holy Spirit's with me, because it would be no different than if I was talking uh, to another human present in the room. Not like you're talking to the Holy Spirit. You could be talking to somebody else. Holy Spirit's there with you. Yes. See, you got to think of it like he's standing right here. Yes. What am I saying to them? He's, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is right here. Now he's not standing, he's in you. But you got a picture like he's standing right there. It's amazing how we'll get around other people and correct our mouth and our words and stuff, you know, when somebody else is around. But when somebody else ain't around, then we don't have any problems spouting off and say, well, guess what? Somebody a whole lot holier, holier than that other person is around. Yes. Yes. The Holy Spirit. Right. Now, some people aren't aware of this. They need to be. Quenching the Holy Spirit, you're causing him to obviously be quenching your life where he can't reach you as easily. Because you're not even aware that he's there. So you need to be aware. 4G, realize that when a person gets used to quenching the spirit, guess what? He has no further protection from the next step. Grieving. I want you to read that again. 
when a person gets used to. Did you get that? So again, we're talking about willful acts here. Willful things you know to correct, but you won't. So when I'm talking about stuff you don't know to correct you, how many know in context of all of life, you learn things as you go along? You start learning about Christianity. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to do that. Well, I haven't been doing that. I didn't know, so I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. No, you're learning. But once I know, I don't take it like no big deal. Now, see, now you're quenching. You understand the difference here? No big deal. doesn't matter. Come on, man. Really? Does it really matter what I say? Yeah. And once you know it, then you should wake up to that fact. I got to watch my words. I got to watch my actions. I got to watch what I do. I got to even watch how I treat God's house. Because if God's going to help me at the house of God, he's going to help me with the help of the Holy Spirit. Why do we ask him to open our eyes? Open our ears, open our heart. Because he's the one that's the the true teacher. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to real quick just, just say this statement after me. Realize... When a person, come on, realize when a person gets used to quenching, gets used to quenching the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're talking about. Then that can lead now to the next stage, which is grieving. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. You with me? Let no corrupt word, excuse me. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary necessary edification. You know what everybody around you needs? You know what you need by other people around you? Edification. It's necessary. Why? Because you're in a world that doesn't edify you with words. So again, make sure that you're watching what you're saying, that no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. If you look it up in the Greek, it says it this way. Your words should be a gift to one another. Your words should be a gift to one another. That's the term grace here. All right, verse 30, and do not what? So and ties to this. What he just said, because obviously and is a conjunctive word. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom, watch, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we don't only not, not want to quench him. Well, guess what else we don't want to do? We don't want to grieve him. Right. <clears throat> Number five on your notes, 5A. To grieve is to now what? Cause pain. It is to cause pain as with someone who went away and left great sorrow as though someone died and there was nothing you could do to bring him back. That's grieving. You do that with the Holy Spirit when you get to the stage of doing some things we're going to read in here that now are beyond quenching. Quenching is like basic little aspects of lifestyle that you don't deal with and correct as it relates to God and you walk with God. And if you don't do that, you start quenching him. It can lead to further now harmful work in your life to now grieve the Holy Spirit. We'll see some examples here. 5B, the Holy Spirit is grieved when a believer is living a life that is not totally sold out to Jesus Christ. If you're not totally sold out to Jesus Christ, you're certainly in some way going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Correct? 5C, the Holy Spirit is grieved when a believer is what? Living a life of compromise. They start now compromising in what they do in their actions and lifestyle. 5D, the Holy Spirit is grieved when a believer is living outside the Word of God. Because once again, they're choosing to do things their own way. 5E, the Holy Spirit is grieved when a believer does not practice 
the presence of the Lord. Where? In worship services. Times of tithing, because guess who we're giving the tithe to? God. We're honoring Him. How about as well as when we receive communion or times of prayer or fasting? See, these are all times. Why do you fast? Why do you fast? To pray. Talk to God. So these are all what? Getting to understand. Practicing the presence of the Lord means I'm becoming aware that He's there. When I worship, I'm worshiping Him. I'm not just singing songs. When I am giving my tithe, I'm honoring Him. I'm not just dropping money in a bucket. Come on, somebody. When I'm receiving communion, I'm reminding myself I'm one with Him. Aware of His presence. Prayer and fasting, I'm aware that I'm talking to Him and spending time with Him. But you start losing sight of this, man, and you'll start grieving the Holy Spirit. F, the Holy Spirit is grieved when a believer slowly grows cold and backslides. Returning to the old ways of life. So once they've returned all the way back to the old ways of life, and now their love of God has grown cold, guess where they're at? They've already gone now to the grieving stage. Remember all the things we read about quenching? See, those things began. And because they continue to practice things that quench the Holy Spirit, now it has led to a whole backslidden life. Not an occasional wrong thing done, but a lifestyle now of a backslider. G, the Holy Spirit is grieved when these things happen because they are out of His control. He can't stop you from doing it like when you lose a loved one and you can do nothing about it. He can't stop you from sinning. But you didn't get here overnight if this obviously happens to an individual. Say, not me in Jesus' name. What happened? You started by quenching Him. Church became less important. The Word became less important. Words became less important. Come on. Lifestyle choices of honoring God became less important. That led to now grieving of now living out of line with the Bible. No longer Him as your first love. You're back to your old ways. You've backslidden. You've gone back to the ways of sinners. You still listening tonight? H, the Holy Spirit is also grieved when a believer persecutes or defames a minister of the gospel or another believer. There's a difference between warning people about others that are in sin that could harm your life. Because even the Bible shows us people that did things wrong that Paul literally mentioned by name so that they wouldn't continue to cause harm to other people. So talking about what they're doing as a lifestyle, not the person. I said not the person, but the lifestyle that they're doing that's wrong To guard somebody else from that practice is not wrong. We're told in the Bible to do so. We're talking about now you're talking about them personally. You're now labeling them. I'm going to tell you a word that's going around today that I hear it all the time. I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of hearing it. Narcissist. Now better, listen, you start labeling people, you're saying that you know their heart. No, you don't. No one knows the heart of a man except the man himself. They might be doing some things wrong that you could point out that aren't right, but now labeling them as somebody is what God tells you not to do. You don't have a right to label people. Guess what? You didn't create them. You didn't create them. Jesus labeled people. He was the son of God. I said, he was the, He is God. He's one of the deity. He's one of the Godhead. Are you listening? See, don't label people. Because you start labeling people. This is what he's talking about under H. You're now, you're now actually defaming somebody by labeling them. Are you still here? Talking about somebody like Mario Marillo recently did of a person that's given false prophecies. Didn't use their name. Easy to find them who they are. But to, to speak about that is not defaming them. 
It's saying what they're saying is wrong. It's out of line with the Bible. That's not defaming them. Y'all have learned this in this church. How do I not defame somebody? I separate what they do from who they are. If I say what they're doing is wrong, I'm not defaming them. Are you listening? If I know it's a fact and it's proven what they're doing is wrong, I'm not defaming them by saying that's wrong. Right? If somebody's living in adultery, I'm not defaming them by saying what they're doing is wrong. But I now defame them when I start labeling them, labeling them as somebody. They're going to hell because they're living in adultery. You don't know that. You don't know that they won't repent. Don't label people. I said don't label people. We know people no longer according to the flesh. Book of Corinthians. See, when you know them according to the flesh, you're labeling them. Stop it. Don't do it. I said don't do it. Any amens on this? Don't do it. Are you still here? I, when a believer sins, the Holy Spirit's there with him, living in him as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He would like to leave, but he will not. He's required to stay with you. He's not to leave you nor forsake you, lest you blaspheme him. This is extremely grieving to the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Spirit. Jay, realize that when a person gets used to grieving the Spirit, guess what? He, again, gets what? Used to. It's customary, no big deal. If you get used to doing that, he has no further for t- for protection for the next step, resisting the Holy Spirit. What have I done some of these, Pastor? Are you used to doing them? No. I've done them on occasion. Have you recognized you did wrong? Yeah. Did you know it was wrong? Yeah. Did you repent? Yeah. Then you're good. You're good. We're not saying you've never done any of these. Let me raise my hand. I've defamed people since I've been a believer, and I've had to repent for it. I don't practice it. I don't, my wife, would, I don't practice it. Are you listening? I don't start going around labeling everybody I meet. Well, they're this and they're this and they're this and they're this. Wrong. Wrong. We're talking about people who have gotten so accustomed to it now. It's just standard, standard issue of their lifestyle, how they live. Say, not for me in Jesus' name. So, number six again, then the third step to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would now be doing what? Now you're resisting. You went from quenching to grieving to resisting, Acts 7, 51. Acts 7, 51. If Kathy wouldn't get me preaching on these so much, I'd be a little quicker. No, I'm just, I'm joking. Teasing. See, I can blame her and she won't get mad at me, I hope. I hope. Uh, Acts, Acts 7. Acts 7. Praise God. I don't know, she had an extra shoe on her, she might throw it or something. 51. Watch this, watch this. You ready? This is talking about those in the New Testament who continue to resist what Jesus came to do to change people's lives who would not listen to the gospel message and to the disciples. He says here, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist. You're no longer quenching. You're no longer grieving. You're now resisting. You resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. What are you? You are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Uncircumcised means you've cut nothing away from your life of that old nature. Circumcised means to cut away. You've cut nothing away from your old will, your own wants, your old ways. You continue to hold on to them, and you're stiff-necked. You know what stiff-necked means? You're stubborn. You're going, to do, you're going to get your way no matter what. Period. Now, I guarantee you what, if that's you, not in Jesus' name, 
That would mean you're, not the, you're, you're resisting stage of the Holy Spirit. 6A, to resist the Holy Spirit is to disobey his directions and commands. 6B, to resist the Holy Spirit is to ignore those inner nudgings of the heart that the Holy Spirit gently also does what? Leads us with. I've said it for years. The same Holy Spirit that directs us is the same Holy Spirit that corrects us. If you don't receive his correction, you're no longer going to be able to follow his direction. 6C, to resist the Holy Spirit is to live in any to, to live any way you want to and to say what you want to. You've gone to the point that God, you, God's out of the picture now. No. Period. You, you're certainly not in church at this point. You still here? You're not going to become a church resisting the Holy Spirit. You're not even in church anymore. You're backslidden. You're back into the world. You're living according to the ways of the world. Don't care. Doesn't matter. I can tell you if you're sitting here tonight, you're not in this category yet. Jesus' name, you're not going to be. 6D, to resist the Holy Spirit is to live a life of mockery. You make a mockery of God. God says one thing, you counter it and say something else. And guess what? God's not mocked. He doesn't lie. What he says is fact, whether you want to agree to it or not. 6E, to resist the Holy Spirit is to live as a double agent. Who did this with Jesus' ministry? Judas did. Judas did. Double agent. They were the split personality. They're one thing in church and, and a second one the rest of the time. So I, I would correct myself in his statement say maybe church once in a while, but church isn't your priority for sure. And obviously one, one in church around other believers. When you're around other believers, you act one way, but the minute you're away from other believers, you're a whole, you're just like the world. Look, just like we couldn't, if, if you weren't around believers, you're just around others in the world and you act like them totally, we couldn't tell you apart from them. 6F, to resist the Holy Spirit is to rule over yourself. Listen to that. I ought to underline it. To resist the Holy Spirit is to what? Rule over yourself. Rather than to have Jesus as your boss, master, and the fivefold ministries as your leaders in the faith. 6G, realize that when a person gets used to resisting the Spirit, Used to doing it. Used to doing it. He has no further protection then from the next step, which could be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Seven, step number four. One therefore commits the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Realize Jesus was warning us to never blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 7a, the verses that were listed we went through in this outline do not exclude Christians from this warning. Why? B, because the warning was really not meant for sinners. They're going to hell anyway unless one, reaches a, uh, unless one of us reaches them with the gospel of Christ. Amen. 7c, protect yourself now. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Protect yourself now. Make your plan how you will always stay ultra-sensitive and super-submitted to Jesus Christ on an hourly and continual basis. Because if you do, you got no concerns about ever walking down this pathway. And again, it is a pathway. It is a process. I'm going to close with a story Brother Hagen shared about his father-in-law. Now, I don't know the details. Nobody can tell you. Nobody knows. Only God knows. But I know from him later talking about it, he felt that this was some things he learned by this experience. He had a father-in-law that became ill, gave his life to Jesus, got born again, became ill, was in the hospital, was in a coma. And listen, Dr. Hagen at that time in his life, he had prayed everybody out of disease and sickness in his family 
except for one, one of his uh, sisters. That's a whole other story. But now through that situation with his sister and a visitation by the Lord in that situation, he learned something, and now he's in the hospital with his father-in-law. His father-in-law, he wasn't very old. I want to say 50s, 60s. I'm 61, so that ain't very old. 50s, 60s. Some of you pick up on that. After, after, 50s, 60s. Yeah, he wasn't that old. Had not lived out like a whole long, you know, really long, healthy life, you know, into his 90s. But he's now serving the Lord. He's going to church, got his right life with God. He's living right for God. And unfortunately, you know, in his context, probably past life, things he's done, his body's been attacked. He's dealing with some kind of health issues in a coma. So the, Brother Hagin's talking to the Lord about this and saying, you know, I want him healed. I want him off of this deathbed. And now that he's serving you, Master, I want him to enjoy this time serving you and with his family, etc. And the Lord speaks to Brother Hagin in the midst of this prayer. He said, you know, this is what he said. I'm just telling you what Brother Hagin said the Lord told him. He said, you know you have authority to deal with him here because he gave you that authority as his son-in-law. But you let him go. There's no better time for him to come home than now. I'm going to say it again. He said, you know you have, see, you don't have authority in everybody's life. But his father-in-law had given him that authority, knowing that he was a minister and believed in him and gave him the right to pray over him and to speak the word of God over his life. You know you have authority here to deal with him, to keep him alive. But I'm telling you, you let him go. There's no better time for him to come home than now. And I'm not going to tell you any more than that. Just let him go. And because of what happened with his sister previous to that, he realized, I need to let him go. He said, yes, Lord, I'll let him go. And so basically he said, but I ask for one thing, Lord. Let him come back awake so that his family has a chance to say goodbye to him. And he said within about 30 minutes, man, the doctor said he would never wake up again. Boom. He woke up in that bed like there was nothing wrong with him. I mean, he still had the physical, you know, mentally all there and everything. And I mean, uh, he said, hello, Kenneth. He said, hello, Mr. Rooker. How are you doing? He said, well... You know, I'm not doing too good. I know, sir. And he said, you know what? I'd like to see my family. So well, I'm going to call them all. We're going to get them all in here. They've all arrived. All the ones that were out of town, all the rest are here. He said, man, that night they came into that hotel room. And I mean, he said it was like you thought he was going on vacation. You know, just a party, just a great party. After all the family had left, he stayed in the hotel room with him that night. Hospital, excuse me. Hospital, sorry. Been a lot of hotels the last couple of nights. He stayed with him in that hospital room that night. And, and uh, as he was laying there for a while, all of a sudden he looked up at Kenneth and he said, you know, Kenneth, I'm dying. He said, I know, Mr. Rooker. He said, there's been a man sitting right there in the corner of my room for the last four days. And he's been telling me I need to come, but I told him, not yet. Not yet. Let me give, me a few, give me a few more days. Not yet. I hadn't seen all his family. And Kenneth said, I couldn't see him, but he said, I knew it had to be an angel sitting there waiting to take him home. And he said, you know, Mr. Rooker, he said, you're good to go. The Lord said, you're good to go. He said, I know it. He said, well, just go. He said, I don't know how to. He said, just lay her back on the pillow and go. <laughs> just close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm ready and just go. That's all you got to do. That's all I got to do. That's all you got to do. He just laid his head back on that pillow, closed his eyes, said, I'm ready, Lord. Closed his eyes, gone. Gone. Now remember the words of the Lord. No better time for him to come home than now, Kenneth. You let him go. You know why? Because he was living right. He was walking right. He was doing right in the sight of God. What if he'd have stayed? That could have changed. Could have changed. Could have got him in trouble. Could have got back into sin. Could have got him in a place where he wouldn't have been ready to go home with the Lord. So we don't know everything. I said, we don't know everything. And as much as he, I even want to see like he does, people get healed before they go to heaven. In some cases, they may be better off to just go on home. 
All we can do is believe to hear from God and believe to know we're going to stand on God's will. But guess what? Any believer who is absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's a good thing. But guarantee it. You know what that tells us? We want to stay ready. We want to stay ready. Why? Because we're now not talking about leaving our bodies. We're talking about him showing up for us. And those who ain't ready, they're going to face some hellish days on earth. Far beyond what you're looking at right now. But thank God we're not going to be here. We're going to take everybody we can with us. Stand your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.